0: Why are you so fixated on this? I'm not, I am simply pointing out that since we have been so obsessed with this project, we've had sex maybe one time in 11 months, and you had to get trashed on a bottle of rosé before you would even consider it. Hmm. (laughs) I mean, Jesus, Dr. Dordick is more intimate with your vagina than I am. Oh my
1: God, do you want sex right now? Is that it? Because we just had a failed IVF. And I don't know about you, but that makes me feel pretty shitty and dead and despondent and doesn't put me in a particularly erotic frame of mind.
0: But if you're dead set on it, you know, surely can manage something.
2: And we are back. Welcome to part two of our private life episode. Uh, But before we get into real talk, it's time for PP, our patron pitch is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on our exclusive patron channel and we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on uh alex as we close the month of april there's there's no escaping it we we have a, a patron exclusive that's going to be about the movie annihilation yes that's i think that's kind of like our reward the the because uh it's a sci-fi movie from the guy that did ex machina we 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 put ourselves through private life so we could get to Annihilation. We did it in the right order.
1: Natalie Portman. Natalie
2: Portman. Oscar Isaac.
1: I've always said Catherine Hahn is the poor man's Natalie Portman. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Uh, We'll also have uh, QVRs for uh, the Peanut Butter Falcon on Alex's side. Yup. And the movie Victoria, a German movie that I know nothing about. Uh, Both assigned to us by patron Sam Hurley. Uh, from movie reviews in twenty queues, uh, so that that will be up at some point. That's that's next on the QVR queue. Uh, we'll also have part four of our Rock epic miniseries, uh, the one where we we finally talk about the match. Is that right, Alex?
1: Hell yeah, that's right. The the actual match itself, the talking is done. It's time to to throw bows and uh, the WWE produced once in a lifetime documentary as well. So, uh. I, I would say it's not, don't expect it to be the two hour epics that we've been churning out Just due to the subject material we're covering being a bit more compact. But who knows? Hulu and I might have a, a good enough time with this that we'll be talking for three hours. We'll see.
2: <laughs> just a deep discussion about what really happened on that ring, how much of it was yeah. staged, and how much of it was, was just real. <laughs> then you know what what you've come to expect from us: uh, cutting room floor uh, segments or pre-recording notes. Alex, I'm pretty excited because I, my wife, my lovely wife, always looking out for this podcast. Uh, she bought me, uh, oh god, what is it called? It's it's like this sort of a hybrid electronic notebook. It's called a Rocket a Rocket Book. Palm Pilot? No, 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 no. It's so. It's like a notebook, right? It has like, I don't know, 20 pages, 30 pages. and uh, But it's made of like a special material and it has a QR code at the end of every page. And so you write with this special pen and then you uh, you use the app on your phone to like point it at the page and it scans the page and makes it a PDF.
1: My God. <laughs> I know. <laughs> the future is now. Yes,
2: exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, it's going to take a little bit getting used to. Uh, tonight was the first time that I used it for, for my notes. And because, uh, you know... Uh, uh, I'm sure patrons have figured out by now that what I do is like I write on a, you know, a regular notebook and then I use my phone's camera to take a photo and then I crop it. But this seemed like a little cooler. And uh, uh, the pen is not the kind of pen that I usually write with. So it's going to take like that. I think that's going to be the learning curve Uh, because, I mean, my handwriting is not great to begin with. And uh, when I'm using a pen that I'm unfamiliar with, it's even worse. But I don't know. I'm pretty happy with how it looked. So. You can see those notes, my Rocketbook notes, along with Alex's uh, standard fair notes on our Patreon channel. And then you can also enjoy Contrarians After Hours, the sort of spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we are watching, listening, playing, reading, what have you. Uh, Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time?
1: Well, with everyone being so gaga about the Batman being put on HBO Max, I was just looking at some of uh, the other offerings on HBO Max from the Batman franchise. I didn't realize they have like almost all of the animated movies on there. I mean, they have like Mask of the Phantasm, which is, of course, the greatest Batman movie, uh, but like Gotham Knight, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker the batman mr freeze sub-zero i had never seen sub-zero before really so what i'm bringing to after hours yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i'm gonna see how many of these i can get through before we record our after hours segment uh and then just kind of discuss what i've watched and what i thought about it so far uh did rewatch return of the joker i've just i've i've accepted it i'm 34 years old and it's just batman beyond just wasn't for me man i just never could get into it were you into batman beyond
2: Yes, but my friends and I had this joke where we're like, oh, you mean Spider-Man? Because, yeah. <laughs> you know, they it's not Batman. It's its a young kid, and he, you know, he has, like, teenage He's problems. He's cocky and has one-liners he- and shit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was cool, but uh, it wasn't Batman. Whatever, you know, I was like, I, I liked it. At that point, we didn't have, like, to see any superhero comic book related uh, media that was good. It, it was, you know, a lot more precious than it is now, so... Sure, I'll take it. You know, if it's a Spider-Man dressed as Batman, I like it because it's good. So I'll take it. I'm not going to get picky. Uh, Unlike now where, you know, we get a Batman movie every couple of years and now we're like, I'm over it
1: yeah i mean there's the one sequence in batman beyond that's fucking incredible uh excuse me batman beyond return of the joker that if anyone's seen that movie they know what i'm referring to but uh yeah i'm just gonna see how many of these i can get through the ones i haven't seen and maybe just revisiting some ones that i only saw one time i only saw the gotham knight one time so want to rewatch that and um basically just continuing my batman knowledge without actually spending the three hours watching the batman uh so <laughs> we'll see uh, what i'll accomplish in the meantime
2: well, Alex, it's going to be a very uh, bat centric after hours because yes. I will do, I will do what you will not do. I'm not a rebel like you. I'm not counterculture. I'm as mainstream as they come because I'm gonna watch the three-hour-long Batman movie, <laughs> and uh, so I'll be telling you about that. You'll be telling me about all your fancy, artsy, animated stuff, and uh, <laughs> and I'll just tell you about Robert Pattinson and fuck uh, and all the other people that are in that movie, and then kind of like to counteract the three hours of batman uh i'm also gonna tell you about the host that movie that's like not even an hour long that a friend and patron paul film Busters paul sent to me uh, a few months ago when i won their trivia game so on your end a journey through the animated batman on my end the latest batman and the host or i think it's just called host uh because the host is that uh movie about the monster in japan
1: yeah that's what i thought you were talking about for a second i was like what
2: No, 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 host. The one that's like a Zoom call or something. So all that uh, on our After Hours and then everything else on our Patreon channel. If any of that sounds interesting, just come join the Contrarian Supplements. Patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. You can take a look at our tiers and uh, figure out if you want to throw a buck or two our way.
1: $1, $3, $5, and $10 our respective tiers. Just head on over, throw out a buck, see what you like, see uh, what you'd like to see more of, and then, you know, Once you're in, unfortunately, you're not going to get out because then you're going to get in the cycle of being able to demand which movies we do, and that's just too much fun. You get to tell us to watch things like Private Life uh, and hear (laughs) our many thoughts about it. Uh, So, patreoncom slash Contrarian Prime. To our existing patrons, we love you all dearly. You all help the machine run. And, uh, as always, we're accepting applications. So, Julio, I think our patron has been sufficiently pitched so i think it's time to move on to uh some causes that that aren't just driven for you and i things that actually have a greater uh, benefit
2: <laughs> yes a more a more altruistic contrarian segment uh we're talking about the live stream for the cure 2022 edition uh we are going to be part of it as as we have been for the past few years so uh here's a promo for it with the great nick haskins and then we will Talk a little bit more about our specific segment when we come back.
0: Hello, everyone. My name is Nick. I'm the host of Nikolai's Kitchen, and I'm also the host of the annual Livestream for the Cure. Livestream for the Cure is a charity event where we raise money with content creators and podcast partners from around the world for the Cancer Research Institute, a wonderful nonprofit researching cancer immunotherapy, training the body's immune system to fight all forms of cancer. This is a mission and a future that I truly believe in and myself and my team worked tirelessly over the past five years to raise over $50,000 for this cause. This year, we're aiming for our biggest single goal to date of $20,000, and we cannot do it without your help. Please join us for the event May 19th through the 21st, starting at 9am Eastern for 45 hours of content from people all over the world. Together, we can bring hope for a future immune to cancer. The more eyes we reach, the more dollars we raise. Please help us in making this goal a reality. Together, we can make a difference.
2: So, livestream for the Cure, it runs from May 19th through May 21st. And that May 21st, the final day. We have a segment at 4 p.m. Central Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We'll be there for an hour. Uh, we're going to be doing something that is not quite what we've been doing uh, the past few years. It's going to be a little more interactive, so be ready to just participate. If you're watching the live stream live uh, as it happens, you'll you'll get to play with us. That's, that's all I'm going to say uh, now. But I think starting next episode... Um, because we said we'd do it with the, at the beginning of May. Starting next episode, we'll actually reveal the the full goings-on of uh, of our Livestream for the Cure segment. But what you need to do right now is just go to your calendar, if you haven't yet, and just block, uh, either block the entirety of those three days, just to be there, live stream 24-7, or at the very least, block May 21st, 4 p.m. Central, 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So you can uh, chill with the contrarians. Like, even if you end up not donating any money, just being there, your presence helps boost the numbers. And uh, attendance makes the, the whole live stream more visible and everybody wins. And it's a good cause. It's uh, uh, for cancer research. So you can feel good about yourself. Now with that with that done, uh, let's go back to uh, more selfish conversations, Alex. Let's, let's do some real talk about uh, private life.
0: No, why don't you just go screw a younger woman, then? What
2: are you talking about? Oh,
0: look! There's one now! Go fuck her! I don't want to fuck her! My God, look, we are doing everything we can short of kidnapping to start a family. I do not know why this is so off limits. Well, it's easy for you to say. You'll have your genetic contribution. And me, I'm just, I'll just be... What?
2: left out
1: all right so our buddy dan brennick friend and former guest of the podcast he did have a bit of rationale for demanding this one
2: yes so i said uh on our on our web page we are (laughs) the and uh, in the tab that says the future i i always put like the three movies that we're gonna do on the main feed and i have like a little blurb for each of them and on the on Private Life, I said something like, oh, Dan's throwing us a bone because he knows that Katherine Hahn is one of Alex's favorite actresses. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of replied on Twitter and said, oh, yeah, it's not it's not all because I think it's the second best Netflix movie. So he thinks this movie is the second best Netflix original ever in the history of Netflix. He has not told me what he thinks number one is. Actually, we did his number one movie. That was his first ever patron pick. Do you remember? No. Idris Elba.
1: Oh, Beast of No Nation. That is a good movie.
2: Yes. Okay. So so we're slowly piecing together Dan Brennick's ranking Beast of No Nation, number one. Private life, number two. Child Soldiers, number one. The Quest for Pregnancy, number two. Um,
1: (laughs) Beast with No Child.
2: Number three should be a crossover where uh, Idris Elba is a new gynecologist that's you know, trying to help Paul Giamatti <laughs> and Catherine Hahn Let's have a baby. <laughs> um, and then he sent me a message just uh, maybe an hour ago because I sent him a message. I was like, hey, anything else? That I, you know, tell me, why do you like this movie? Why, why is it your second favorite? And uh, he replied, the last paragraph of your Letterbox review sums it up for me. And because uh, this is the second time I watched this movie, I watched it when it first came out. Oh, okay. Uh, unlike you, I I didn't give up on it. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm powering through. It's Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hahn. I'm I'm seeing it through the end. I
1: didn't give up on shit. hold <laughs> hold your horses there, buddy.
2: <laughs> uh, so back then this was a uh, October 31st, 2018. So well, I don't know if I watched it on Halloween, but I definitely logged it on Halloween, and I gave private life. Uh yeah, that's
1: fitting, Halloween.
2: Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Man, timely. Uh, so I gave Private Life, back then, I gave it three and a half stars. And uh, I wrote a bunch of things. But the the last paragraph, which is the one that Dan is referring to, uh, goes like this. I do like the very last image, though. It says everything. And, you know, considering how much I don't want to ever have kids, it's quite the triumph to get me to empathize with two people who are obsessed with the opposite. And I stand by that statement. Uh, my ranking, my, my rating has changed a little bit, but uh, the fact that I was invested through, you know entirely the entirety of this movie, with Paul Giamatti and Catherine Hunt's uh, yearning, mission uh, obsession, even uh, you know whatever you want to call it, to have a kid when that is the last thing I would ever want uh, in my life. Yet, you know, the magic of movies (laughs) and the magic of, I don't know, human empathy, (laughs) you you know, play it well and you can get into someone else's head. And uh, yeah, I would never do what they were doing, but I could totally buy that they were doing it and I understood where they were coming from and I wanted them to be happy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's what I wanted was a happy ending. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if, you know, I, I wanted them to either get pregnant or realized that maybe they were better off not doing it because it was causing them too much pain. And actually, the movie doesn't... I guess the movie has this sort of open-ending, you know, of, well, this is the life. You know, we're not giving up. We're just going to keep doing it, as miserable as it makes us, because I think that, that uh, the real uh, Oscar clip for Jamari has to be that that final big fight they have when he's in bed and he's just like, I just want my old life back. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet, you know, after airing all those grievances, they still go to that Applebee's and they sit at that table <laughs> because they still want to have a kid. And that's... Uh, I think it's a really powerful image. It really... It tells you everything that you need to know about as, as far as where the characters are after everything that happened in the movie. And my heart kind of, like, you know, goes out to them. But they're, you know, people that are interested in something that is uh, not, not part of my... My goals in life, or even it's actually something that I actively avoid. You know the idea of ever having kids. So that's one of the things, maybe the thing that I liked the most back then when I watched in twenty eighteen, and and I guess now we know that's that's the reason why Dan uh, calls it his number two Netflix movie. I guess he doesn't want to have kids either, but he still empathizes with them, and that's that's a big deal. How about you Alex and without getting too personal though is that like your experience as far as like you don't want kids and therefore you can or cannot relate to this movie or, or what happens in it
1: um I guess' I'm, the jury's still out on if I want kids or not I'm a man so I don't have to worry about it I can <laughs> be 70 and fucking firing live rounds like Larry King or something no uh yeah I don't really know um but, yeah, that certainly doesn't mean I can't, like, feel for them. There's uh, plenty of movies and TV shows that have storylines about characters wanting to get pregnant and just can't. One of the side plots, in away we go, it deals with a character that can't have a baby and really wants to. And, and, like, it's one of the more, like, emotional, endearing parts of the movie. And so, yeah, I can definitely relate to it. I can also relate to just the... I can't even imagine, excuse me, I can empathize with, I can't sympathize with this the stress and just pressure that that would put on a relationship. But, you know, I really like that this movie goes out of its way to show that they do love each other. I was genuinely the, the ending part of just Paul Giamatti not saying anything but just going to the other side of the table and, like, rearranging mm-hmm. the menus and the silverware. It's, it's so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I I can relate. I can empathize. I keep saying relate. I can't. I, like I said in the first half you and I have been pretty far away from all that shit and you know I can't say to a certainty I would have the tenacity and you know willpower to go through as much as they did uh, so it definitely just thinking of that part of it makes me feel for these characters so yeah. I think if your movie is good enough, then and more importantly, if your actors are good enough, because words on a page can only get you so far. But, you know, it could be anything. And if it's good enough, you can engage the audience that you're looking to.
2: You engage at least 93% of them.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and that, don't get me wrong, I, I definitely have qualms about the movie, but it's, that's not to say that, like, I'm just rolling my eyes at these characters or not feeling any type of... Sorrow or uh, feeling their sadness,
2: yeah. Uh, because I think that it would be easy—I don't think it would be right—but I think it would be easy to distance yourself from what's happening in the movie and just kind of like what I was joking about in contrast, corner. You know, just spend the movie judging them. That would be like if the movie wasn't good enough. I think that you could fall into that trap of just thinking, "Man, this is uh, this is not my world," and it kind of looks silly from the outside. Like, like most, you know, subsets of culture or whatever, you know, it's like if you step outside and you don't have the empathy or, or you know, the, the inroads for empathy, then it all looks kind of like uh, outlandish. You know, it's like how much money are you spending on this and like how much like emotional upheaval are you putting yourself through for mm-hmm. like, you know. For odds that are so much against you, and you have to buy in in order for <laughs> for the movie to make sense and to to really connect you. And and I was I was able to buy in both times. You know when I watched it back then and when I watched now. Um, I want to kind of go through the negative quotes before we we get any deeper. If that's yeah, okay for sure. to you. And grab four rotten quotes. Uh, we can start with that. Uh, Kyle Smith from National Review, who says, "Frustration is not an emotion I seek out when I go to the movies." For all of the heartache going on in private life, as a narrative journey, it winds up traveling approximately a quarter of an inch. I think he's being hyperbolic. A little bit. Um Sam C. Mack from Slant Magazine says, Instead of offering a probing, nuanced view of the burgeoning technologies and sciences involved in this relatively new outgrowth of the OBGYN industry, though, Tamara Jenkins uses her setting as fodder for lame and discomforting physical comedy. Uh, this dude wanted a documentary <laughs> about IVFs. I guess. I didn't think it was lame physical comedy. I didn't think there was much the physical fuck is comedy that? at all. No. Yeah. Richard Brody from the New Yorker says scenes of painful turmoil play like skillful script readings rather than life events. Uh, did you feel this was like an actor's movie uh, in a bad way? Y-
1: yes, there were definitely like parts that felt like I was watching a play.
2: Okay, all right, all right. So, well, you and Richard Brody have something in common, Alex. Sup, Rich? <laughs> and finally and this this is i think the the one that's gonna hit you home alex gregory elwood from the playlist says jenkins has a vision and something interesting to say in private life but it needs some serious editing to convey it succinctly
1: yep it's a very (laughs) undisciplined movie and probably should have started off by saying this um i don't know tamra jenkins obviously (laughs) uh So, when I talk about this movie, my understanding on the research I did was that uh, a lot of this was based off her life experience with fertility treatments. Um, It
2: felt very. uh...
1: Yeah, when I read that, like in the trivia section of IMDb, I was like, yeah, like that makes sense. Because the whole movie I was watching, there were things that were too specific. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. When directors or writers will include things that are just down to like the color of the the wallpaper and shit like that you can tell it's like an experience that they've gone through so that you know any critiques i have from here on out and have had so far are certainly not to minimize or you know belittle any of her life experiences it's just basically as shocking as it sounds some people care about my opinions on movies so that's uh, (laughs) i'm just here to give that Uh, but like I said she's an accomplished filmmaker and someone whose work I've appreciated before and there's aspects of this I really like it's just tremendously undisciplined it's you know a, a movie that we have done three hour movies that did not feel anywhere near this long and it's just because there are these scenes that meander that don't mean much and then things that really mean something will happen in the blink of an eye and maybe that's you know that's life you know long periods of nothingness and then And a lot of shit happening at once. That doesn't necessarily translate to a movie that's going to really do much for me, though. Um, And like I said, it really felt like we were just shifting tones at least three times in this movie. I appreciate the idea of the conundrum presented by uh, asking someone in your family to be an egg donor. It it was just kind of like you have something really special with Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. And it felt like the movie was working too hard to include more people. It wasn't like too many cooks in the kitchen type thing. It just felt like we were trying to introduce too many other people into it when we had something that worked right in front of us. Uh, Right, you could have
2: watched like a full movie. Maybe that's what you're about to say. You could have watched a full movie that was just the two of them trying to get pregnant without adding the subplot of the knees.
1: Yes. And, And like all the supporting characters are great. It's just... Like, the scenes with Sadie and um, Sam, I'm like, why? Mm -hmm. Why? And even the scene with Sadie and Molly Shannon where it's just them eating and she's basically there. Like, I don't support it, but, you know, you you make your own decision. It's like, why? These aren't the characters we're with. You know, when they followed Sadie and the argument she had with Molly Shannon after telling him that that was hard for me to it would distract me and then i would be like well why do we care i they kind of pay it off in the end where she goes to you know writing school or gets Mm -hmm. a residency and it's like hey things worked out for her but uh i feel like even the runtime you know you could have had a movie that was still two hours if you were dead set on keeping it that way with just a a tighter story that revolved more around paul giamatti and Catherine hahn yeah it just it felt unnecessary to introduce that whole other aspect into it but hey i'm outnumbered by 93 percent, and i don't even dislike this i'm gonna end up giving it a b or some shit i'm just saying like <laughs> there were aspects of it it's not as bad as watching a movie and it being bad but a really d- defeating experience as uh, a movie fan a connoisseur an elitist is watching a movie and knowing it could have been better at the end with what you saw was already good, but you knew it could have been better uh, under, you know, perhaps a different microscope or if it went through a more strenuous filtering and sifting process, but there was enough here, enough good to carry me. And uh, by the end though, I was just Paul Giamatti watching porn. Yeah. <laughs>
2: This this will forever be a reference that we'll go back to over and over. Because it's perfect. How could we not? Yeah, it's just it, it's just very visual, very evocative. <laughs> um, Rel-
1: talk about relatable.
2: Yes, <laughs> it's you watching Hancock. Yeah, you didn't think it was gonna happen, but here it is.
1: Um, uh, Alright, so I talked for a while, Julio. Hit me with it. Lay it on me. What, uh, what are your uh, thoughts about private life?
2: Uh, I like it. I, I, I think I like it more than you do, and I like it more than I did back in, in 2018. I There's some of the problems I had back then that I still do now, but I think that I have... Uh, I knew what... I remember some things, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty recent. <laughs> 2018 wasn't that long ago. And it, the movie made an impression. I remember thinking, you know, that the performances Bullshit. were great. 2018
1: was 20 years ago, dude.
2: That is true. That is true. <laughs> uh, Pre-COVID. <laughs> nobody's wearing masks in the movie. Um, I remember that thinking that the, the performances were great and that the, the world was very, uh, you know, what well, you were saying specific, you know, that they're like, Clearly, they either did the research or did this is like, a very personal story based based on something very personal, and uh, and then I remember being disappointed by the ending, uh, not the final shot, but just the way that everything kind of wraps up. And uh, on this rewatch, I was expecting that. I was like, I remember that. For as good as it all the buildup is, at some point it kind of loses its way, and so I was bracing myself for that, and it never really happened. Not the way that I was anticipating it. Uh, I think that I I psyched myself up to be really annoyed by it and instead it was more of a oh yeah that's right they don't have the baby and then they take her to a writing camp you know that's I don't know you know it's not uh, emotionally for some reason it didn't hit me uh, I don't know what the, what the problem is I mean I, I I have you know some ideas I think that uh, Sadie's writing is never that important throughout the movie and so to suddenly make it a big deal at the very end feels like well we couldn't come up with anything else so <laughs> so she gets a happy ending Uh, and then there's the the thing that's that's bothered me the most like both times I watched the movie is that the Molly Shannon character has that big about face almost off camera and then she disappears from the movie <laughs> yeah you know it's like what are those? Because you're right. Like, there's all these elements that are out there that could be either it could be tied into the main story better, or just be minimized to where they take up less space. Because yeah, I agree. I don't care about Sam. I don't care about Sadie's love life other than in how it directly may affect the uh, the story of the pregnancy. And for that, I don't really need him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I just need to know yeah. that she went out. And she stayed out late and then she came back and, uh, you know, she was late. That's it. Because it's not like at some point Sam finds out what's going on and it's creeped out and then she has to choose between her new boyfriend and the pregnancy. You know, that, that's not what happens. So just, you know, he's, he's, he's kind of irrelevant to the plot. And then Molly Shannon, she seems like she's going to be the main antagonist, the main obstacle, and that the movie is going to build up to either, you know, her... Disowning Sadie or her accepting Sadie, but after you know a process, and instead, halfway through the movie, she just kind of tells her, "All right, well, you do what you what you what you have to do, what you want to do," and then she's gone from the movie again. And it's like, what what was all the build up for, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's kind of deflating because I like so much of the movie, uh, and then to have it kind of strike out in certain aspects is is just not. Uh, it gave me bad memories, and then but watching it today, you know, it was. Uh, I guess it kind of like held together better than I remembered. And uh, and the things that worked, worked so well. Uh, mainly, you know, the performances. Just, uh, I don't know. I, I think that maybe it would be a better movie if you didn't have the the story with Denise. I mean, it would be a completely different movie, right? If, if it's just oh, about... Yeah. I mean, don't get have, me wrong.
1: This movie is what it wants to be. And that's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. admirable.
2: But do you think... I mean I, this is me completely guessing right but it, it, so the the first almost like the first half of the movie because I checked and it's like about an hour into the movie so half the halfway point before we actually get into the story of okay well let's ask Sadie and see if Sadie can do it for us so the first half is just Jamadi and Catherine Han navigating the world of uh trying to get pregnant and yeah uh that's good enough for me I don't know that you can have two hours of them just kind of like bouncing around from clinic to clinic and whatever. I think you can actually, because they're great actors and you know, if it was just the story of their relationship going through this uh, yeah, you can do it. But I think that it's, it would be a harder sell for most audiences. You know, you need a bigger plot. You need something that's actually, you know, and, and that is like, like the movie plot is like, Oh, but what if he tells his niece, you know? And then that, now you have a movie, so I guess I understand the necessity of uh, taking this this world that you're very familiar with, and and then making it in, into a movie. And you know that means that you have to add like the little the contrivances. Like I like uh, what's the name of the actress, Kayla, uh, Kaylee Carter. Okay, I like Kaylee Carter. I I think that actually, like now that we're in real talk, uh, I probably even like her more in rewatch than I did the first time I watched the movie. Uh, I think that she has some moments of a uh, very uh, sincere innocence uh, it, and just oh and you know, she
1: yeah like I was bitching about the the character but she nails like the um,
2: casual pretension
1: <laughs> the, that but also the uh, self-belief in being wise beyond one's years mm-hmm. and yeah the just the Oh, I took this class, so I know everything about this. And, you know, all the buzzwords and shit that she uses, she nails that whole thing.
2: Yeah, but I, but I also believe that she cares for, for Jamadi and Han and that she's uh, doing agreed. it out of, out of the goodness of her heart. And so I, I think that that's really sweet. And that's uh, that's probably the, the trickiest part of the performance, I think, you know, that she has to you know, have that chemistry with them and she has to just project that that thing where we're like, uh, I buy it, you know? Um, the movie, I think, because it's, again, because it needs a plot, because it needs to, you know, be a movie, puts her in positions where I'm like, man, you're 25, you should know better than this. You know, there are times where, to me, it felt like she was acting more like a teenager than a young adult.
1: You remember being yeah. 25, man? you look back and be like, God... You're, I mean, you're not a kid, but you know, you're still with age comes wisdom type thing. Like, I think back to the shit I did when I was 25. Now I'm like, dude, what the fuck?
2: Yes, but I think I, I'm mostly thinking of the increasing the medication. Like when she when she increases the medication oh, on her own. Yeah, I was like, that is not like, and I understand that maybe the argument could be made uh, that she's not entirely in her right mind because, you know, the hormones and- I thought you were just talking
1: about like the being late for shit and being young and naive, but yeah. No, that's, no, 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 that, that you is
2: should, just her being young, now. <laughs> yeah, you should
1: have at least, I don't know, the at least the faculties to like ask someone or something about that because that's, that's the type of shit you can't fuck around
2: with, man. Right, I mean, especially because it, in a way, it like, it's at odds with her her goal you know if her goal is to make sure that they can have a baby like self-medicating is taking a huge chance of actually you know that not happening which ends up being the case you know i mean i guess we never know if uh you know what would have happened if she hadn't self-medicated maybe she would have just uh not you know it wouldn't have worked anyway but yeah she seemed like too smart to make that call and again maybe that the the treatment was kind of like messing with her mind and that it made her make a rash choice but i i just felt like that moment felt a little contrived, uh, yeah. Compared to you know, like just the, the the real worldliness that so much of the movie has when it's just Catherine Han and Paul Giamatti going from doctor to doctor and just sitting in waiting rooms and having you know to deal with money problems and fertility problems and just the the practicalities of, of navigating this system like that's that's the really good stuff and uh, yeah the the Sadie aspect of it I think it's sometimes it's really good sometimes it's not as good and I was thinking about it and like I really I think that the movie would work better for me if it ended with an actual apology of sorts you know from them to her Mm -hmm. and just an acknowledgement of like we were the adults in this scenario and we should have known better and uh, we're sorry that you know it went this far and I, I imagine that the the trip to the the writing retreat or whatever, like it's meant to symbolize that at least somewhat, but I don't think it's enough. Like I, it feels, I don't know. It just feels so. I I don't care about her writing. You know, like it's brought up a couple times in the movie, but it's not. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think the movie cares either. <laughs> it just feels perfunctory. <laughs> yeah, and so I I would have liked to see that a better way to end that relationship you know why because i just realized it's like they're never they're always supportive of her anyway so it's not like a big deal that they end up supporting her more you know it would be different if uh the person that drives the person driving uh uh, sadie to this writing camp is molly shannon you know because she seemed like somebody who didn't really believe in you know her daughter's writing or whatever but then this all built up to Molly Shannon actually, you know, just just fixing things with her daughter and just taking her as as a as proof that she believes in her writing. She takes her to this retreat, and you know, that would at least, you know, I don't know, pull at some heartstrings.
0: I just, I just want you to find something that you love doing that will, you know, give your life meaning and purpose. I found it. Remember, writing. Right.
2: Yes.
1: I mentioned this in Contrarian's Corner jestingly, but it really bothered me that in the movie that because it seems like Richard and Rachel have their shit together that they don't talk to Sadie's parents first before they talk to her. I understand she's an adult and can do whatever the fuck she wants. It's just kind of like, to me, a respect thing. It's his fucking brother. Exactly. (laughs) And like, it's not that that didn't make sense to me other than for it to lead to like, you know, the big blow up. Because it feels like all this strife could have been fucking avoided if you just did the right thing and talked to them first. But hey,
2: or, or at least if the movie acknowledged that they did, or if they if it had them acknowledged that they did something wrong, you know, it, it yes. goes again to like apologize to Molly Shannon, like we really fucked up. But it's the movie kind of treats her as like she's the villain for being inflexible. Yeah, for about real. This. No, yeah, you're right. That is bananas because okay if they were not related then maybe i can understand you're right you know she's 25 she can do whatever she wants they don't owe her parents anything but they're family <laughs> and they know that it's gonna be a problem so yep
1: um yeah i'm just thinking back now like all the pieces in the movie i would put together to make like the movie i wanted um the end is trying the whole fade to black and then it comes back in like the come on man you do that halfway through the movie. You don't do that with ten minutes left, and then hit us nine months later. Come on, uh, really uh, did appreciate the Rosemary's Baby moment in the movie. That was really funny. I thought where she said he was just like the the guy in Rosemary's Baby was like that's right, just watching you get raped by a demon.
2: Okay, so that's, now that we're in real talk, did you not find this funny to where you would say it's a dramedy? Because I laughed a lot, uh, and that was and that was one big laugh.
1: Yeah, that was a good one. Like there were some things visually, I laughed at more so, like the where it's just Paul Giamatti with like the ice pack on his nuts. Uh, I guess I was just uh, Guy Woodhouse. That's the character's name. What he what he calls her. Um, I honestly was just trying to figure out the tone for so much of it that I feel like I missed a lot. Like I'm trying to like look back and you know remember some of the dialogue in the film and. I'm realizing that like not a lot of it, like the story resonated with me, but not a lot of like the moments in it because I just was having such a hard time trying to figure out what the what the tone's supposed to be and whose story this is. And so I think that really adversely affected my uh, experience. Maybe a second viewing would help if I ever you know motivate myself for it. It would be a good bedtime movie, though. I'll say that much. It's uh, this and a warm glass of milk. <laughs> You'll get your eight hours.
2: <laughs> Just let uh, Paul Giamatti's voice lull you to sleep. Yes, his, because uh,
1: you'll be in deep sleep by the time he starts yelling. <laughs> God, that he's the scene, man.
2: That scene is great, though. Like, okay. Oh, yeah. It, uh, this is kind of an unfair question, but who, kind of like we joked in Contreras Corner, but did you find yourself kind of like siding with one more than the other between Catherine uh, Hahn and, and Paul Giamatti?
1: It's so phallocentric, like, because some of the arguments that, like, they have, again, no kids, never had any, never tried, but it's just going to be, like, playing off my experience, you know, I find my, I see some of myself in Paul Giamatti, and that's just dude's rock type thing. So, (laughs) you know, I feel like when it came to, like, tension resolving and just trying to be you know, the man of the situation. And again, I'm not saying that's how situations need to be addressed and not Mm -hmm. every situation needs a man. Uh, But you could tell that's his character. Like he thought he's the man of the house. He's supposed to step up and do some of this shit. And that I can, you know, I could relate to and could see myself in. But then at other times, Catherine Han's character, Rachel doesn't express a lot of the things that concern her. And that is, you know, me, a lot <laughs> I don't express things I express things so poorly I can't even speak when I talk about it I can't use proper English but I really can relate to that scene I was talking about where Sadie just says that weird shit about it. it's your and Maya's baby and uh, there's just like this troubled look on Catherine Han's face that's the type <laughs> of shit I was like that's what I would do I'd be like what the fuck does that mean but I wouldn't ask for any clarity and I would just fucking dwell on it for a month. So I could see myself in both of them at certain parts of the movie. Um, neither of them are nearly as annoyed by Sadie as I would have been, though.
2: <laughs> well, I guess they've had years to get used to her.
1: Yeah, yeah. the yeah, and the um, Sam. You don't see enough of him to really see anything, in. I do, I do just love John Carroll Lynch. Like it has nothing to do with the movie, and it's one of those scenes that doesn't pay off either. Where uh, it's like the Menopause are just getting old. Molly Shannon plucks that chin hair she finds, and then we find out that the younger daughter got into Berkeley. And John Carroll Lynch gets up and he's like so happy, he's like, "Let me see it," and like hugs her and like spinning her around. And then Molly Shannon starts crying. And did I miss anything? Is there any payoff to that later in the movie?
2: No. So I think Alex. I wonder if there's just like something that got cut because I the think Jenkins,
1: the Jenkins cut is somewhere. <laughs> yes,
2: <laughs> release the Jenkins cut where you find out there has to be one scene missing or maybe we're just like, we're just too dumb for it. But because I, I want to say if it's not the next scene, then it's the scene, you know, two scenes later uh, where, uh, where they, Molly Shannon has that scene at the bar with, uh, with Sadie and they kind of like make up. So it seems like the movie's telling you that the accumulation of her freaking out about the menopause, realizing that her youngest daughter is going to leave to go to Berkeley and John Carol Lynch kind of, like, giving her the, not the pep talk, but, you know, kind of, like, telling her, hey, you need to fix this, you know? All that stuff kind of, it's just too much for her. She starts crying, and then she's like, fine, I'll go extend the olive branch. Like, I think I can connect those dots, but it's it's messy, and I don't think it flows very well in the movie. I, I needed one scene of Molly Shannon kind of, you know, in transition, <laughs> going it's- from being very much against it to being, like, very much like, ah, oh, sure, do whatever you want
1: it's so funny so fitting i watched pig earlier today to do the qvr for a patron and one of the things i praised heavily about that movie is what's not there what you don't see and what's left for you to kind of figure out on your own uh that movie does a good enough job of painting the picture so you kind of know what happened but it never explicitly tells you and spoon feeds you Mm -hmm. um And as you know and listeners know, one of my biggest issues with modern film is I feel audiences are too spoon-fed. This is like this weird gray area of there's not enough spoon-feeding. It's like, uh, it's not even that. It's like you're just shown the dish. You're like, here you go, and here's the spoon. You're not going to need it, though, because this dish isn't going to come back out anytime. (laughs) And when you you do get it, it's just kind of like you know, here comes the airplane. Boop, boop. All right. We're taking this one back to the kitchen now. And so <laughs> I feel like there's so many things that are introduced and not, it'd be so much easier just to make uh, references to these characters in these situations. So as an audience, like, Oh, you know, he's got this strange relationship with his brother. Oh, uh, you know, she's having a hard time with this and uh, you don't have to see it because then what happens is you introduce these ideas. And then when you don't pay them off, it leaves your audience in this specific example, me saying, well, wait, why did we have to sit through that? If there's no relevance to what's going on elsewhere, I understand what you're saying. And again, I'm not trying to criticize uh, Tamara Jenkins life experiences and her wanting to tell this story because obviously it has its merit and it definitely has its audience. Um, it's just me kind of say, uh, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking it.
2: Yeah. I think that there is, it's possible that if you connect to the the core idea even harder, more strongly than we do, then you don't care. Yeah. <laughs> you just... I just want to just... I'll go... I'll jump from scene to scene with uh, Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti and everything else that happens around it. It's just, you know, the icing on top.
1: But... What it is, is this movie is structured like three episodes of uh, like a series. It's structured a lot like actually... Uh, that Friends from College show I was telling you about. Obviously, uh-huh. that's a bit more in your face, funny type shit. But there'll be these sequence of episodes that all have different tones that focus on different characters, and that to me, this could have maybe been like a five part miniseries or something. I don't. Do miniseries exist anymore? Besides on our patron, of course.
2: Damn it! I was about to say. Well, there's this rock scene Yeah. <laughs> <This scene laughs> <I heard about. laughs>
1: You know, there, we, there's not, like, Lonesome Dove and It and shit like that that happens anymore. But this movie is structured like three episodes of something jammed together. And it just it feels disjointed for me.
2: Um, Yeah. I mean, you know, the middle one is the Thanksgiving episode. Exactly.
1: You could have gotten so much more out of that, dude. Angry Molly Shannon prepping it. See, yeah, turn this movie into three one-hour installments. And, okay, here's your options, Tamara Jenkins, <laughs> when the Criterion drops. You give me a 90-minute cut of just, I just want Catherine Hahn and Paul Giamatti. Uh, You can do the niece uh, and that whole thing, but I don't want to see any of the side tangents that come from it. Or three one-hour installments of this story that can be completely fleshed out. Those are your options. Not taking anything else.
2: (laughs) I don't want that uh, unrated cut bullshit that's just like two minutes of Giamatti trying to jerk off. That's not going to cut it. He's just there. <laughs> God fucking damn it. <laughs> Paul
1: Giamatti is a gift. I spoke on her last After Hours about Adele Chopolis and how I believe she is a gift. And that's how I feel that way about Paul Giamatti, too. I'm just like, man, what that guy can do. And this movie's no exception. He's just what I said you know, earlier. Like Scripts it can be great or bad. But at the end of the day, they're just words on a piece of paper. It takes someone special to bring them to life. And Paul Giamatti, man, exists in a class of rarefied air. And to her credit, man, Catherine Hahn holds her own in this one.
2: Oh, yeah. I think she's fantastic. I See, I'm going to give her the edge. They're both amazing. But uh, kind of like going back to what you were saying, you know, it's easier to relate for me uh, to Giamatti because – I, that's kind of like the role that I feel I would be playing and because in, and, and this is where the, the, the important thing happens is like Catherine Hahn is the one that is going through like the, the physical stuff, you know, it's like, yes, they're both going through the psychological upheaval of going through this, but the, she's the one that's getting the shots and she's the one that's getting like the hormones. So she's the one that's getting all that stuff. So on top of the emotional stuff, that's, of depression all that stuff there's the biological stuff that she's going through and especially this time around watching it I was like that is that's such a you know she's walking a tightrope because if she is just like a little bit too much she she can be even though she's entirely justified in behaving the way that she behaves she could turn someone like me off I think that maybe if you're uh, you know uh, somebody who's gone through a pregnancy you're you can identify with her like a little more easily because you're like oh I get it you know I've been there it, but uh, for me, you know, it's like I. She could have lost me, and she never did. Like I, I, even at at times where like the rational part of my mind, I was like, "Man, Paul Jemati's trying to you know make sense and have have a rational conversation," and she's lashing out at him. But then there was uh, the other half of me that I'm like, "Yeah, lash out. You have every right to lash mm-hmm. out. It's your body," and they're like injecting you with all these things, and you know. It, Logic be damned. I mean, if you're upset, then you should be able to, like, be upset and just slap him in the street if you want to. And uh, when they have their final big dual Oscar clip, you know, at the when they're in bed yeah. and it, it's uh, like, I was with Jamari, uh, you know, up to the point where when he starts talking about sex, I think kind of like he he gives up the argument. He loses his ground. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But for, you know, he has a pretty solid intro where he's like, I'm done. You know, it's like, it's, it's just not, this isn't a life. But then her indignation and just the way that she handles being put in that conversation because you know i'm like dude you are right i I agree with you but this is not the time (laughs) yeah she is she she just gotta pick your spots man exactly and so i was glad that she didn't put up with this shit and i don't know she's this time i i found myself uh giving her the edge not because it's a competition but just as in like if i have to pick like my favorite character then you know i I'm going with her. And, uh, mm. and he is also, you know, fantastic. But that's ultimately what carries me through the movie and what made me uh, up my rating. You know, it's just that they are so strong together that for all my nitpicking and my my serious concerns about like where I think the movie goes wrong and even the half of the ending that I find dissatisfying, they are the through line. And at the very end, it's just them sitting on that booth. I'm like, yeah, i I'm happy. I'm I'm happy that I went on this journey with you. So kind of like what you're saying, you know, like (laughs) you get really good actors and that they can, they can eventually make all the difference.
1: Yeah. There's there's a lot here. I think this discussion that Hulu and I have had shows that there's a lot to this and, um, you know, it's easy just to kind of poke and prod at these kind of more artsy white people, shit movies, but you know, (laughs) From an acting perspective and filmmaking perspective, there's a lot to it. And it's an interesting piece of business to discuss. I do not think it's better than Paddleton, though, Dan. I'm sorry. That's some prime white people shit that keeps it at 90 minutes. uh... (laughs) Man, I I remember the first time I watched that movie, just the suddenness of the the ending. I had big boy tears going on for it, but uh, this one, not so much. The... The most artsy way for it to have ended, the most like white people shit independent film style ending would have been if it just hard cut to black and then written and directed by Tamara Jenkins at the part where she's at the where she has a residency for writing uh, and she looks out the window and they're yes. both just standing there. Looking, you know what I'm talking about?
2: <laughs> Playing with the dogs. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm their parents now. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Julio, joking aside, I could see myself uh, not necessarily sitting down for a focused viewing of this, but definitely could put this on as background noise at some point when I'm cleaning or, you know, like I said, work through it over the course of three nights before bed. The acting is very good. My qualms are with the, you know, the story and the way the movie's presented. But even then, you know, it looks good. And like I said, the acting is the most its the focus of this and the acting is good. So, you know, if it had had this kind of wonky story that we've discussed and the acting was bad, it would have been like, well, your plan didn't work at all. But that's (laughs) obviously not the case. So somewhere between a B and a B minus. I don't know. Catherine Han, I feel like I already knew she was a really good actress coming into this, but this definitely reinforces it. I guess I'll go with a B for this. Uh, I'll probably end up giving it three and a half stars on uh letterbox. So mm. what about that's yourself? That's what I gave it. That's, I gave that's it what you had half. originally, but it mm-hmm. sounds like you bumped it up.
2: Yeah. yeah. It's It's, it's been bumped up to four stars because I, I, as much as I've been complaining about the ending and all those things, like this second time around, they didn't bother me as much as they did the first time. And, uh, and I just appreciated the performances so much more. So yeah, four stars. I, I would recommend it to anyone. Um, uh, I'm always going to remember just the, the big moments with Jamadi and Catherine Hahn and and of course now we've introduced a new sort of like meme reference to the contrarian's canon, so that's gotta count for something, you know, the, the idea yeah. of Paul Jamadi, pants around his ankles, bare ass on a on a couch, watching porn. Watching
1: this girl get railed from behind <laughs> and just looking like he you know, he knows he has to do his taxes when he gets home.
2: Hashtag mood.
1: <laughs> I already i I was being careful about it. I Google image searched uh, private life, <laughs> Paul Giamatti porn. Then, Jesus Christ! No, 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 no. It didn't return anything. It was just like fucking pictures from the movie. Uh, <laughs> no, no deep fakes of Paul Giamatti like with this giant horse cock. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you, you Google image search, private life, Paul Giamatti porn, and the first picture is him and fucking uh, Tamara Jenkins sitting on a stoop laughing together. It's the whitest <laughs> picture I've ever seen. He's got his uh, glasses folded in his hands that are clasped around his knee as he's laughing. <laughs> there you go. Well, Julio's rating has bumped up. Despite all my bitching about it, it I'd still recommend checking it out uh julio i hope we're moving on from the the subject of pregnancy what's on deck
2: uh oh yes we are uh (laughs) alex it's time it's time for our next big summer event the and patrons already know about this because we we dropped a kind of a a a preview where we're just discussing the making of our summer event it's time for the friend's travaganza We are going to do uh, six episodes, each of them featuring a movie where a member of the cast of the TV show Friends plays a big part. And we're going to start with Matt LeBlanc, Joey. We're going to be doing Lost in Space, which is a rotten movie. We're starting with the rotten. Have you seen Lost in Space, Alex?
1: I have not. I remember when it came out, though, because a lot of the promotion was about around the guy from uh, Friends being in a movie.
2: And that's why it's our next movie, because the guy from Friends is in a movie. One of the guys from Friends. And just, just, we got to give you the quick rundown of the Friends Tarragansa. Just buckle up. This is going to be your summer. Uh, not counting whatever bonus episodes the Patreon. Gary Oldman's in that
1: movie?
2: Yeah, he's uh, Dr. Smith.
1: My God. Hell yeah.
2: <laughs> so, Lost in Space at 28%, uh, then Scream 2 featuring Corny Cox, of course, Monica. That's a fresh one at 81%. Uh, then we go back to Rotten with Almost Heroes, 5%, featuring uh, Matthew Perry, Chandler. Fuck yes. Uh, then episode uh, 158 is a fresh one. Uh, it's the the Phoebe episode, the Lisa Kudrow episode. And it's also special because uh, our friend Stu from the Sewer Alder podcast is going to join us for uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. God bless. Very much uh, Lisa Kudrow vehicle uh, alongside uh, Mira Sorvino. Uh, then, back to Rotten, 29% Kissing a Fool, starring David Schwimmer, Ross, and Jason Lee. And finally, closing with the queen of uh, romantic comedies, as far as uh, the Friends cast goes, Rachel Jennifer Aniston. 41%, she, he's just not that into you. That's episode 160. That'll be a gray area. One of us is going to be defending it, another the other one is going to be arguing against it. And alongside on our Patreon channel, every after hours for those episodes is going to tackle a second movie that also involves those people. So we're going to do Charlie's Angels for Matt LeBlanc, 3,000 Miles to Graceland for uh, Corny Cox, The Whole Nine Yards for Matthew Perry, ECA for Lisa Kudrow, uh, for David Schwimmer, Alex had a great idea, and that was to, uh, instead of <laughs> doing one of the really bad movies that he's in, uh, one of the other really bad movies that he's in, we're going to talk about his directorial career. So we're going to talk about Trust and Run, Fat Boy, Run. And then finally, for Jennifer Aniston, we'll do Along Came Polly, uh, featuring Contrarian's favorite, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Wow. Man. That's, that's... our summer.
1: <laughs> yeah, That's a loaded fucking lineup there, my man. <laughs>
2: And like I said, that's not even counting whatever the the patrons throw our way. And patrons, you don't have to play by the Friends of Ganser rules, but if you want to, that's fine too. Just, you can do whatever you want because you you actually put money into the show.
1: <laughs> All right, so we'll close out this episode with our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the Festive Years who provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all Festive Years needs.
2: Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Roth Wieser, he's the man behind our logo, behind all the graphics on our webpage, our Patreon page, our merch page. He's very talented on top of being an artist. He's also a podcaster. Like I said, he has two podcasts Nacion Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. He also writes novels. Um, if you want to check out a list of his work, you can just go to his website mildemonios.pe. That's m i l d m o n i o s.pe. You can also reach him on Twitter at mildemonios, or you can email him at mildemonios@hotmail.com. Uh, he he commented on our uh, uh, left behind Instagram post a few days ago, and he said that the book is worse than the movie. And then he asked if we had read it, and I said, Hans, come on. <laughs> barely made it through the movie i'm more likely to uh to watch the kirk cameron version than to spend time reading the book (laughs) i I imagine that's
1: saying something
2: yeah 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 yeah. it's not gonna happen either of those things but still so anyway thank you hans for all your support
1: and thank you to miss zoe perez the curator of our social media if you're on facebook and you haven't already We are at Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Give us a follow there. I looked it up today. It is follow. It's not like, (laughs) like, share, what have you. And if you're on Instagram, at Contrarian Prime is where you can find us. On our Facebook, Zoe will post some exclusive videos uh, previewing upcoming episodes. And then on our Instagram account, uh, interactive graphics, audio clips, uh, you know, just information on recent episodes and uh, what's going on with the Contrarians. So be sure to check that out. And Zoe, thank you so much for the work you do for us. With that all out of the way, that is going to conclude this episode of The Contrarians where we're right and you're wrong and we will catch you next time.